Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy, the podcast that empowers you to transform life's challenges into opportunities for personal growth and healthier relationships. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. As experienced therapists with backgrounds in addressing trauma and mental health disorders, we believe there is hope and there certainly is healing. We've spent our lives supporting people through the ups and downs, and we want to share these insights with you. Together, we'll unravel the layers of personal growth healing from trauma, and building healthy relationships. Each week, we'll bring you engaging conversations, expert insights, and practical strategies to help you heal from the past, foster healthy communication, and develop enduring love. This podcast is your guide to transforming adversity into triumph, healing wounds and past trauma, gaining wisdom and insight, and creating meaningful, fulfilling connections. So if you're here to heal, to better understand yourself or your relationships, you're in the right place. So sit back, get comfortable, bring your trauma and your drama, and let's start healing. Welcome Welcome to to Mr. and Mrs. Mrs. Therapy. Hey everyone, welcome back to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy podcast. We're so glad that you're here with us today. We've been doing a series about communicating with your children about sex. And today we're gonna be talking about social media and the dangers of social media, as well as a few tips on how to protect them. And so like the other episodes on this topic, we wanna make sure to give you a warning that if you have kids around, maybe pause this episode and listen to it at a later time when they're not with you. So if you haven't already listened to the first two episodes, go ahead and listen to those and then join us back here. But before we jump into today's episode, we would love to invite you to jump on a 15-minute free call with us if you're looking for coaching to really help walk you through some of these issues that we've been talking about with your children. Tim and I have a program called Coaching with Truth, and these issues that we're talking about can be really difficult and uncomfortable at times. So if you want someone to walk alongside you and coach you through this, Tim and I would love to do that. All right, let's jump into today's episode. So before we jump in and we really dive deep into all the different aspects of social media and some of the dangers, what we really want you guys to understand is that the longer you can stave off their connection to social media, generally the better off they're going to be. And although that may be difficult, and especially when they're getting older and their friends are getting on it, they're going to feel pressure and they're going to want to be on. But the longer that they are able to be away from that, the longer that they aren't having that regular access to it, you can prevent a lot of harm from happening. The younger they are, the more susceptible they are to danger and damage from being exposed to all that's on social media. Now, part of it is, especially if you're not watching what your kids are doing on their phones, is that you can really miss how deep they're really getting in or how bad of stuff that they're actually seeing. Like, for example, this just happened to me the other day on TikTok. I was just scrolling through, and then I saw a scene from a war zone. I literally saw somebody get killed on screen. Now, I'm sure that video probably wasn't up too long, But still, it was on there long enough where I scrolled by and I saw it and I literally watched somebody get killed. And that's something that's hard for an adult to be able to witness, let alone somebody who's seven, eight, nine years old to be able to see and be able to cope with that. Oh, I agree. And we see a lot of adults who also struggle with social media and the role that it plays in their lives and how the social aspect of it really affects their life and their self-worth and how they view themselves. And if they're getting enough likes or who looked at their things, there's a lot that even the adults that we see are struggling with. And so your child is much less equipped to deal with that. And so you'll see why 
we're saying that as best you can and as late as you can to kind of push that down the road so that they're not experiencing all of this at such a young age where we're putting them in a position and expecting them to deal with things that are just adding onto their plate and making things harder for them. And so we're not expecting them to never have this, but we're just saying it might benefit your child to not have it yet. So the first thing that we want to talk about is cyberbullying. Now, this is something that can happen with friends or it's something that can just happen in comment sections, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, anything along those lines, where all of a sudden you say something and then you might get dogpiled on and people might start attacking you or yelling or screaming at you through comments or making videos about something you've said or done. And this is something that I think is very prevalent, in particular online, because people are almost these nameless, faceless things where we don't feel any empathy for them because it's just a picture of them or an avatar, and they don't feel any real emotional connection. And then when they type out and say whatever they're going to say, or they make a video about something, they're not really seeing somebody's reaction. So it can really make you feel very disconnected from what you're doing compared to the person that you're doing it to. And so a lot of times people really go for the jugular and they can get really nasty. But the person on the other end is still feeling the negative effects of something that's happening online. And I know a lot of people will say, well, just, you know, shut it off or just like, you know, put your phone down or something along those lines. But a part of the problem is that it really hooks people emotionally. And so if somebody says something nasty to them, it's not so easy to just walk away from that or to ignore it. And I think for kids in the past, when they went to school, and they had some bullying incidents, at least they could come home and be safe from that. But nowadays, if they are on social media and they get bullied at school, they come home, they get on their phones or their tablets, and they're getting bullied there as well. And so this really is infiltrating every part of their lives. And that can really affect you. And there are too many stories out there where the children committed suicide because it was too much for them. And so although it's easy for us as parents to be able to say, you know, whatever they said, it doesn't really matter. You know that you're loved. But for them, that's crushing. It's their social world. It's their friends. It's a lot of where they find their worth and their value, which we want you to instill that at home. But for a lot of people, when they go to school, that is where they find that. And when they're being attacked from people, it is just too much for them. Yeah, and as somebody who was previously bullied, I do agree with what you're saying that the parents saying, well, you know, that's not true and that's not you and you shouldn't believe that. It's much easier to say that than it is for a child to integrate that information and for a child to actually try to shift their perspective. And it just makes them feel vulnerable because when you're that young, you don't have a very well-developed sense of self. And so what people tell you oftentimes gets integrated into what you believe about yourself. And so allowing them to be exposed to those kinds of things at a young age is likely to scar them. It's not likely to help them learn to toughen up. It's likely to weaken and make them not be able to deal with or cope with things better in the future. Oh, for sure. And kids can be really mean. And so we really want you to understand the risks of social media. So in addition to cyberbullying, there's inappropriate content. And this is kind of what Tim was talking about earlier, that there's a lot of harmful content on social media, and just on the internet in general. But it really does have such a big effect on your child's mind. And I know that we can't protect them from everything out there. We can't shield them from everything. We want to prepare them for life and the things that they're going to face. But a lot of these things that are out there, 
it's just unnecessary. It's inappropriate and unnecessary for young minds to see and to have to deal with. The next thing we want to talk about is privacy concerns. And one of the things that I think I'll probably say multiple times through this podcast is that the internet is forever, kids. And so if you put something up and then you think you delete it and it's gone, it's not gone. There is something, it's called the Wayback Machine. And basically it's a website you can go to and you can pull up what was on any website at any day in the history of the internet. And so even if subsequently you have deleted it, somebody can still pull that information, that picture, whatever it was, they can still pull it up and it's still viewable. So people might not be able to continue to access it through the traditional way that they had originally seen it, but it's still there. And so for you to understand, also for you to teach your kids about privacy concerns like, hey, just because you deleted something does not mean that thing is gone. Once you put it on there, it's there forever. And so you want to make sure you don't ever put up or post something that you don't want to be out on the internet or for public consumption forever. And so whether that's photos you're posting or information or data you're putting out there, you just want to know that there really are a lot of privacy issues on the internet. You have very little privacy, as a matter of fact. And I think when you look at students and kids that are using technology now, a lot of them are just screenshotting things and sending it out to groups of their friends. And so now what you thought or what you meant for one specific person has now become something that's accessible to everyone. Oh, sure. Especially when people start sending around intimate photos and things like that. There's actually websites, they call them revenge porn websites, where if somebody breaks up with the other person, but then they have intimate pictures of them, they will post them on this website in order to kind of get revenge against the person that broke up with them. And so these kinds of things are very dangerous and leave you in a very vulnerable state. And so really educating your kids on this, and even yourself, you may be listening to some of this being like, oh man, I never even heard of the Wayback Machine. All these kinds of things helps you to understand the gravity of what's going on. It's easy to just be plunking along using the internet, not thinking much of it. But realistically, there's so much information that you are not aware of that's getting out. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's some people that I like to follow and they do this thing, it's called doxing. Doxing is you find out information like either about where they live or where they work, and then you release that stuff online. Now, the people that I'm following, they're doing it with the consent of the other person. People will challenge them, hey, figure out where I'm at. And they'll give them like a three second video of where they're at. And these people, I watch them break down and figure out and identify exactly where this person is, even though it seems like they gave almost no information. Or there's another lady, she does this challenge where it's like, okay, based on your TikTok handle, I'm going to find out what your birth date is. And so then she'll go through all these different things and figure out what people's birth date is just based off of their TikTok handle. And so when you think like, oh, I feel like I've been careful, I've been pretty anonymous, there's people who not even are professionals, they just kind of do it for fun. They're able to figure out so much about people that they don't even have any idea that has been released online. Another aspect of social media that we want to talk about is teaching your children how to discern reliable sources and recognize when things aren't truth. And so this takes time, but it also takes you really knowing what are reliable sources and what are things and people that you trust, because there's so much technology out there now that can really trick you. There's some technologies where just in a matter of seconds, you can change a picture of you as an adult into a child, and a predator can use that to be able to contact your child, and your child just thinks that they're a child, because that picture looks like a child. And so helping them to discern what is truth and what is not. Recently, I watched a video 
about a news station that really blasted another one. And that one company knew what they were going to do, and so they videotaped everything. But when that news station aired that piece, they left out a lot of information. And so they were able to use a lot of the different words to kind of create or support their narrative, even though it's drastically different than their own. And so not just on social media, but just in the media in general, we have to be really careful in what we're consuming. And I think one of the things about critical thinking online is almost the assumption that when you're listening to somebody or you're reading a news article about a particular topic, is kind of coming from this assumption that there probably is some mistake in there or there is some misleading information in there. So like if somebody quotes to you a research article or a research study, it's one thing to be like, okay, like they might be lying to you or they might just be misunderstanding. And so one of the things that I do like to do, is, especially when it's a topic that's kind of near and dear to my heart, is like I'll hear a claim and I'll be like, that's an interesting claim. I want to look at where did this claim come from? How did they get those numbers? But I don't want to read what somebody's saying about it because they could be misunderstanding or misinterpreting. I want to go deeper. I want to see, okay, where's this research? Let me take a look at this. Where's the table that says this in the research study? Because so much of what we know is built on what we've been told or what somebody has expressed to us. But realistically, a lot of things are not quite what they seem. So sometimes we know information because people have told us information, and then you hear more and more people who keep perpetuating this idea. A great example of this is the idea of hibernation. And I know basically everybody, when you think of hibernation, probably the first animal that pops into your mind is bears, because that's what almost everybody was taught in school. During the winter, bears hibernate. Well, that's not really true. Bears don't actually hibernate during winter. They do something called torpor, T-O-R-P-O-R. And this is when their body kind of slows down and they don't need to eat as much and they don't move around as much, but they still get out, they still hunt, they still eat. They don't get in a cave and sleep in a cave for three months. But almost everybody went through school and learned that bears hibernate. But is this them trying to be deceitful or is this just a misunderstanding that a lot of people have because somebody heard something and then they perpetuated something that was inaccurate and then it just became a life of its own? Another thing that I like to explain to people when we have a misunderstanding of how the world works around us is that sometimes we get indoctrinated by propaganda, and sometimes it's accidental, and sometimes it's purposeful. But one time, I remember I kept hearing this idea that, you know, carrots are good for your eyes. They help you to see better. And I didn't think anything of it. And then somewhere I had heard along the lines that that wasn't accurate. Eating carrots is not actually technically good for your eyes, or it doesn't increase or enhance your eyesight in any way. So this idea that carrots enhance your vision, in particular your night vision, actually was propaganda that the British had used in order to try to conceal the fact that they had developed radar. They didn't want the Germans to know that they had developed radar so that they could see the German planes coming from a long way off. So they let out propaganda about how they were feeding their pilots tons of carrots to enhance their night vision. And that was their cover. Now the thing is, the propaganda worked really good. They're trying to use it on the Germans but eventually, that made it into the understanding of the British populace that carrots were good for your eyes. And then I heard that as a kid. As a matter of fact, I remember a friend of mine, he had to wear glasses, and he always wanted to eat carrots because he was trying to improve his eyesight. And so this is something that happened in World War II that was propaganda specifically aimed at the Germans, but then was said so often and so frequently enough that it just diffused into the general population and made it from Germany all the way over to America and 
into my friend's mind. And then I was told that. And then I didn't come to this understanding that carrots really didn't help your eyes until I was probably in my mid-30s. Then I finally found out, oh, that's not true at all. So just this understanding, people might be trying to deceive you, but also you might just be getting bad information because people have gotten so much bad information, but they got it from somebody who seemed reliable. And then it just perpetuated that belief system. And so trying to come to the understanding of like, I need to look into things. I need to see the background of things, not just taking things at face value. And so as you hear things from your children that they hear online, even if it was something personal or some information about a friend, and they come and they tell you, oh, Susie did this. And if it seems out of character from this girl Susie that you know, then maybe kind of push back to your child and say, oh, where'd you hear this? And just start to have that conversation and teach them to check into it. Hey, maybe you should go and ask Susie if that's true. Because especially for kids and teenagers, they're posting a lot of things that don't just affect their lives, but it really does have an impact on others. And so teaching your child to question things, teaching them to have that critical thinking and decision making, and not just about social media stuff, but just in life. And that's very different from being cynical, but we can be critical thinkers. The next thing that's important, especially if you're allowing your kids to get access to the internet and you're allowing them to have social media, is setting boundaries around it. One of the best boundaries I think parents have is not allowing phones in the room. So when it's bedtime, having your kids turn in your phone where they don't have then access to it, I think it should be almost an essential thing when you're allowing them to have that access. Because the later it gets, the more likely they are to do inappropriate things or bad things are likelier to happen later on. But even just think about yourself. How much control do you have at night around your phone? Is it super easy when it's like, oh, your phone warns you, hey, it's bedtime. Oh, yep, it's bedtime. And you just turn off your phone, you uh, lay in bed right away. Or do you kind of keep scrolling and then doom scroll for like an hour or something along those lines and go to bed way later than you should have? And the probability that a teenager or younger than a teenager is going to be able to just turn off their phone when they should is almost non-existent. And so that's one boundary that I think is really good. But other boundaries that you should also consider is the amount of time that they're allowed to have on it. There shouldn't just be restricted access, but helping them to understand what is proper etiquette around phones, such as like if you're having conversations with people that you shouldn't be scrolling around on your phone or when people are sitting down for dinner, that's not the time to be on your phone either. So either putting your phone somewhere else or something along those lines, but hey, now we're sitting down, we're sitting here to talk. This is the time when we're socializing. This isn't the time for us to be burying our nose in our phone. Or for example, and I know if you have young kids, this can be so tempting and so hard not to do, but if you guys are going out to a restaurant and you just want your kid to behave, you might want to plop them down in front of an iPad just to settle them down so you can enjoy yourself. But this is also a great time for training and teaching and helping them to learn how to behave out in public. And you might give them a little more free range in home. And sometimes we do this with our kids. We're like, hey, this is okay here. But when we're out at a restaurant, you're not allowed to do that at all, right? So we're not always trying to drop the hammer on them. We want them to be able to be free. And sometimes our dinner table gets crazy. And sometimes we're joking and laughing and having fun. And we had kids falling off chairs because they're laughing so hard. And it could be great. But when we're out to dinner at a nice restaurant, that's not the behavior that we want there. And so setting boundaries around electronics like that, like, hey, dinner time, we're not going to have it. Hey, when we're out to a restaurant here, I know you might want to be on it, but we're not going to let you be on it. We're going to practice and train for behaving well in restaurants. That takes time and that takes effort. As a matter of fact, right now, we are battling our two-year-old with 
being able to just sit in her chair when everybody's sitting there eating. She always wants to stand up, wants to climb on the table. And it takes time and effort and it's annoying and it's frustrating. But I remember just two short years ago, our four-year-old was having the same issue. And now she's not really a problem with that hardly at all. But you have to stop and you have to fight those battles sometimes. And this isn't necessarily just about social media usage, but just technology in general, like Tim was talking about. You really can miss out on a lot of opportunities for relational connection. I saw this video where it was just a side-by-side picture of a dad on his phone and then the dad in the same context with his kids. And it just showed along the way how the kids responded in each of those scenarios. And there's just so much more connection between them. And the child was a lot happier and expressive. And even when they're building this Lego or block tower, the child was able to make it further because he had the help of his dad rather than the dad being on the floor with him while he's playing, but on his phone. And so it also just helps, you know, them have the confidence because they can get further with your help. But there's all these different opportunities for connection and relationship that is missed when you're just on your phone. And like Tim was talking about out and about at the restaurants and the etiquette around that. But even when you're in line, a lot of people will just pop out their phone. And I'm guilty of this too, because I think, oh, I can get some things done. And I go through some of my checklists and to-do lists and maybe send out a text that I needed to. But there's a lot of times where I'll purposely put my phone down and I have more opportunity to engage with the people around us. I want to teach our kids that people are more important than your phone. And there are so many times in counseling sessions where I'm sure you've heard this too, Tim, that the parents come and they complain, well, all they do is they go up in their room or they're always on their phone. And so these boundaries that we're talking about are so important to set up now because you don't want to miss out on this connection with, yes, the community and the people around you, but more importantly, the people in your own home, the people that you love and your own children and your own family. All right, you guys, we're going to end there for today's episode. We're definitely not finished with this topic, but we'll continue on in the next one. So make sure you tune in for that. Have a great day. And remember, your mind is a powerful thing. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We hope that you enjoyed today's episode and found it helpful. If so, would you take 30 seconds and share it with a friend? Also, we'd love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcast. It lights us up to know that this podcast is helping you. If you have any questions or a topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group. Just click the link in the description below. Although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. If you are struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or feeling hopeless or suicidal, you are not alone help is available. Please seek professional help or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988. Thank you again for joining us on Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. Remember, there's always hope and there's always help.